Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine the one thing I have to do Welcome to the Wash Technical Podcast. Today we welcome Joseph Morrow from the early November. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. How are you? Now, I heard from Ray Harkins, who uh, we used to partner in crime for the Wash Type Emo podcast, and then it got too big, and he had to do his own. I had to do my own. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, he told me that you were an old metalcore kid, and I got really excited. And I don't know if I forgot, but... Um, how did you get into <laughs> how did you get into metalcore because a lot of people uh our age or at least in well, a certain I, time frame got into metal and it kind of it kind of how you got into hardcore how you, it kind of catapulted a lot so i you know what what happened <laughs> well it's kind of funny there was i mean and i've heard you talk about this before on on the podcast that like the lines weren't as drawn i feel like in the late 90s or mid 90s even um, as they seem to be now, where you know there's there's very discernible differences between kids who like metalcore and the kid who like indie rock or whatever it may be or punk. You know, it was just I maybe mean, that was just because there was less of it, so you're just like you're taking whatever you get. Um, but yeah, I mean basically, um, I was you know into primarily into like just punk and indie rock um, or you know emo. Um, and just, I think maybe it was because I did a little, uh, Lifetime broke up and I think Kid Dynamite came out and I was like, ooh, this is cool. And um, that kind of led to going to see Kid Dynamite and going to see Kid Dynamite led to um, just Philadelphia at the time, having like um, American Nightmare was playing there. Like literally, it felt like, it felt like every other weekend. Um, and they would, you know, every time they would be with a different band. And, and that was at the time of the, um, you know, the kind of very early, like, screamo stuff. Um, not very early, but uh, you and I and um, the assistant, like, those bands from Jersey. So Jersey is just a kind of a hotbed for that kind of stuff at that time. So it was just a great time and place to be into that kind of music. Kid Dynamite, And I did like Ray's band quite a bit. What'd you say? Yeah, oh, Kid yeah. Oh. I, 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 
I was a big Taken fan. Um, I don't know why they resonated with me so much, but um, they were one of my favorites of that, you know, of the more um, uh, metallic genre, shall we say. And what was interesting is, you know, that that was a West Coast band. And a lot of times, you know, it really wasn't as easy. You mean you sometimes needed to see the band to get that full connection. A lot of times they didn't tour. They didn't come across. So for you to connect that way with, with, with Taken was, I think, um, overall was uh, rare. Um, but again, you went the right yeah, way with, I, with, with Kid Dynamite. Fantastic. Yeah, I ended up seeing Taken too. I, never, I remember him being really, really nice. And the first time I met him, or even you know, the second time I met him, 12 years later, or whatever it was, um, I was like, I told him that story. He, he didn't remember me, but he remembered that show. And I would just be like, you were the nicest guy. He was one of the nicest guys. So it's just really nice. That's just a nice thing to know that, like, you know, these people are genuinely nice, you know, when you meet them, because I was never two bands who were, who were mean. So. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so you grew up in New Jersey, did you, and you grew up in the same town as Ace? Yeah, town called Hamilton, New Jersey. And for you guys in the scene, what was going on then? How did you sort of, uh, you know, when you sort of, I mean, I, I would remember kind of, you know, someone would mention a band and it would perk up your ears. Like if you said Kid Dynamite in the hallway, I probably would have perked up my ears. What was it that you guys sort of first connected on? Um, you know, it's funny, Ace, um, I was... So I was into like, uh, I was one grade below high uh, school. And um, I was into punk. Like I got into, you know, the pretty rudimentary when I was probably in middle school. Like right when, you know, uh, Offspring, Smash came out. Like the MGT, you know, it was 1994. That was the year that like everyone kind of discovered it. I just like went super deep. And I think there was a uh, a card in the Offspring record. You know, like how a lot of labels used to have their own distro cards. And it was like, here's more records from Epitaph. And I was like, what are these things? So I bought, you know, as many as I could, via mail order. Um, tried to piece together a band, like desperately tried to piece together a band. Anyone who was even remotely into like the close, because I went to a high school with about 400 other kids. And it's very rural. And at the time, uh, I would say new metal was real big or just rap, you know, or for country. So you had those three. Um, so then eventually, um, I was sitting with my other, my one and only other friend who listened to punk in lunch, and we saw Ace and another kid sitting there, and I saw Fat Records logo on the back of uh, the kid Jim's shirt. Immediately we walked up to him and we said, do you listen to, do you like punk? You know? And uh, it was a lagwagon shirt, and I didn't, I didn't even like lagwagon. But, but uh, you knew at least he knew lagwagon, that it was somewhere close. <laughs> Yeah, I was, this is this is all we need, and um, and I think that the next question literally was, do you play instruments? He was sitting next to Ace. Ace is like, I play guitar. Um, I mean, I knew of these dudes before, but we they were grades above us. We were all in succession: was a senior, a junior, a sophomore, which I was, and then a, a freshman who was our bassist. So it was all in order. Um, at the time, Ace didn't listen to it. It was just strict up, like straight up, uh, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. Pillow Pilots, like it was alternative rock, like grunge rock, and like you know the Rolling Stones, like classic rock stuff. So that's where like Ace's background came from. Um, and I think that the first thing he responded to, because then once we all became friends, we just started 
aces, like, we're like, clearly this guy is like a great player. So let's just start feeding him music and see who he responds to. And I think he responded first to uh, Weston. And, and I, we had this comp called Double Exposure that Go-Kart Records put out, which was the most incredible, like, I mean, a lot of it sucked, to be honest, but um, there was, like, this, you could get a taste of everything. There was, like, street punk. There was, like, crust punk. There was uh, Cooking Wine by Alkaline Trio, which was one of the, blew my mind of a song. There was Chamberlain, which we also all responded really well to. And, uh, and like, Hot Water Music. And, like, it was... It was a great comp for just being exposed to as much music as you can under that punk rock umbrella. Um, so we would just kind of force feed Ace as much as we can. And basically what he responded to is how we try to make music, you know, as a band. We would, you know, then, then we became a band. Um, Even just those bands that you mentioned, you can hear it. You can hear the alkaline. You can hear the Chamberlain. You could hear. You can hear the alternative. You could hear the Weston. That's really, really funny. Even just as you were saying those bands, it, you could just you could tell that that's what you kind of felt that that's what you oh, guys leaned absolutely. into. I mean, you know how every back then every year feels a lot longer. Like, and then you look back on it, you're like, oh wait, all this happened in the scope of sixteen months. You know, I we also we talked about this a lot, Ace and I. It's like. Then we went to this, you know, we had like these, these markers, these, uh, you know, like we went to a carnival and that's where we first heard, you know, somebody told us about Jets to Brazil. And then we all made ourselves copies of that tape because this is before CD printers, or at least before anyone like had them residentially. Um, you know, and we all made, co- we all, everyone got a copy of Orange Rhyming Dictionary because one person happened to have it on two days. Cause that was the other thing. We grew up in a pretty isolated small town the nearest place to buy indie rock or punk rock was probably 40 minutes away. And without a license, you're not walking there, you know? So there was few and far between that you could get these things. And, but when we did, you know, you would, you would, it was like finding gold, you know, it was insane that you could find these things. And, um, were shows the same way? Funny. No, I mean, they, it was the only, the one and only show our town ever had at that time, which is actually a pretty sick show, was a ska band who in our town was called the Habit Towns. Um, so they they put it together. So they played Weston played and Lesson J played, and I was twelve when that happened. Oh my god! At twelve, that, that would have been that fucking was, amazing. Yeah, maybe I was thirteen. It was nineteen ninety seven. That's when Losing Street came out. So I'm gonna maybe I was I don't know what I was, but I, I was in middle school. Um, so that was like my first punk show. Um, and uh, so that was years before I met Ace, but still uh, nothing happened in between them. Like literally nothing happened except for just mail order. You know, I would live out of the very distro mail order catalog or the lumberjack or, you know, catalog and just be like, that sounds like I might like it. Mom, can I please order this? Here's my allowance. money. put it on your credit card kind of thing. Um, or write the check, you know? And then wait. You know how well, you're, you're from, you're from Vermont. <laughs> Dude, remember waiting? Do you remember that? I mean, you could list yeah, off all these bands, and I could go listen to them as soon as we click off the, you know, and this thing. Yeah, you literally were like, I think I'm going to get this, and you're sitting there for two to three weeks hoping to God that that seven inch that lasts seven minutes doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah, oh, and it's, it's, you know what it does? You know, it was a beautiful like, lesson in patience that we just, that I don't know how 
can be passed on. And I don't mean this. I don't want to get into like a, an old person. Things were better back then, kind of thing. But like, is there a thing like that anymore in in the world of instant gratification, where it's like you want a game on your iPad, download. You, I mean, you have to wait for something to come out for the most part. Like if it's not released yet. But then once it does come out, it's in your hands for the most part, or almost anything. It's. So, I mean, maybe the live show. Sure. Yeah, got to wait for a live show. I Unless mean, I guess you could YouTube live videos of of, of the one before. <laughs> well, that's what I always joke about. I'm like, I didn't even know. I mean, the I the Refuse show that I saw in '98. I didn't really know what they looked like. I happened to be standing next to them for the entire show, and then they go and play. Before, I probably would have oh, yeah. YouTubed a bunch of videos been like, oh, Dennis wears his hair like this and his guitar is – or the other guitar player is this and whatever it was. And now it's it, – it, back then it was like, I don't know. The, like, I don't know what these guys look like. <laughs> yeah. It, I think it was also – it also taught you to be far less critical and, and more eclectic in what you liked. I mean, they're, they're definitely us in living where we did because you know what? Like we were – we had anal cunt records. Like we bought that just because we heard about it. And then we also had, you know, the promise ring, like everything we could get that was under that umbrella that we heard that was interesting, whether it was good or bad, we absorbed and said, Oh, this is interesting. Uh, I don't hate it. I don't like it or, you know, whatever it may have been, but you just took it in. You just like, kind of digested it, which is, was really nice to just to kind of be a, you have a sampling from all over the independent music, you know, world, which, uh, I mean, I think it's probably easier now than ever, but you know, back then it wasn't easy. So you had to kind of take everything you got and really give it a shot because you might not know when the next one's coming through and it took you six weeks to get it. So you better give it a shot. Yeah. You know, and you listen to it, you know, I mean, there's records back then that I know track 12, just as much as I know track one, because I only had 12 CDs or whatever it was. And, you know, anyone anyone younger is now rolling their eyes um, and being like, "Thanks, dinosaurs." But I think it really brings up a, a point of <laughs> the um, that breadth of you know, you did have the anal cunt record. You might have had a metal record. You had a hardcore record. You had sort of a, like a scream record. And I'm right when you. I think going back to the early November, a lot of times. You know, and I want to get your take on it. I felt that the the tours from I was just joking about this earlier before bleed but before bleed American and after bleed American after bleed American. You know, do you think those tours got like really regimented for a specific sound, or do you still feel like there was that difference of you know it was different sounding things? It just seemed to get super cookie cutter really quick. And I wanted your take on that. And if you're, if you disagree, I would almost, oh, yeah, think. No, I, I totally agree, but I think there's a reason. And the only reason that I can, cause I've, I've thought about this before. Um, the reason I think I, that I think it is, is it was a small micro, it was a much smaller microcosm when it not, obviously not when it first started, you know, we're not talking early eighties, hardcore, you know, we're talking, we're talking late nineties, like where everything kind of blended together. Um, I, I do feel that it was, you know, you had the, you had the, you had the ebb and flow, the rise and fall of like underground music culture that's coming and going. Right. Um, I think in that time, it was just about bands pulling together, being like, are you working? 
last time you played, you know, Champagne, did you did you do 25? Cool, we did 30. We don't care what you sound like. You're, you know, like the, the great the great example was always the Get Up Kids Coalescing, you know? Like they're, they're, those two bands, they were just, they were just buds. And like they shared members at times. And it was just like, why did they, they don't make any sense together. But like sonically, but they would do tours together and they did seven inches together and they would cover one another's songs. And I think it was just about in those early days, hey, let's just go on, hey, let's just go on tour with our friends. And they did this well last time. We did this well. Let's just combine it. And at back then, if you listen to punk, you listen to hardcore, and you listen to indie rock, before, you know, it was called, before people started fucking emo and everything. Um, so, you know, we'll just have the same fans. And then as these things got bigger, and each band got bigger in their own respective scene, I think is then when the lines started to get drawn. And the tours were like, oh, well, now we can draw 150 on our own, so we're going to just bring another hardcore band because it makes more sense, and our fans like to get rowdy. Your fans like to kind of dance around or, you know, to kind of stand there. So you can go on tour with the other shoe baby stand there fans or whatever it may be. Um, and then just the, each scene got bigger in its own right, and as things get bigger, they create their own sort of natural um, separation from one another. That's my probably... Theory, no, I've theory. actually, I mean, I have not thought about it that way. I, I think the Coalesce Get Up Kids example is fantastic because you're right. You sort of went and yes, you saw Coalesce and you were kind of into hardcore and or you, you were liked either band, and you, but you stuck around. The thing that I always remembered from hardcore shows was that, you know, you could go outside in between a band if you didn't like them. And I think that still happened. It still happens today. But there wasn't, it just seemed like it was okay that you were all there at the same time. It wasn't this sort of, I don't, it just felt more like a melting pot. Um, and you're right. Oh, man. yeah. Like the hardcore scene got big. Well, fuck, we got to take hardcore bands out or, you know, emo. And, um, you know, was there a time when you first heard the word emo and, and did you did you know what it was associated with? Did you Did you do a deep dive or... Um, what was Honestly, the I connection? Think it, I think it was on that anti-flag song from that comp. So this is going back to probably like 98 or so, maybe 97. And I think it was that song, they had that song, Indie Sucks, Hardline Sucks, Emo Sucks, You Suck. And I was like, what's that? And I think one of the older kids, I think one of the older kids in my school who used to wear like a showcase showdown, like he was a street punk kind of dude. And he was just, he was just nice to me because I would just ask him a lot of questions. Um, I could totally like, see yeah, you I'm in like, high school. I could totally see you in high school, <laughs> bugging the punk kid. Oh, like <laughs> most annoying kids, like for sure. But like it was just because <laughs> you know you got one thing recommended with you, and you're like, I need to know everything I can about this. You know, and yeah. I, I'm, I still I'm that way all the time. Like I'll just be like, oh, I wonder who first found Antarctica, and I'll just like obsess over this one topic until I be like, well, I guess I know all that I can about it. You know, or at least all that I choose to. So, I mean, back, I, I think I was like, what's emo all about? And he was like, oh, it's like shitty bands who cry on stage. I think that was actually the, I think that was the <laughs> actual thing he said. Shitty bands who cry on stage. And I'm like, who does that? And that was like, whoa, that must be nuts to see. And uh, I don't remember who he told me about. But then I think I found that. Remember that website? What the heck is emo anyway? Forfa.info. It's still up. That's it. So I, 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 that was my Wikipedia. That was Wikipedia for me. 
And I never knew if that site was tongue-in-cheek joking or not, but it gave me good info. Like, I was like, oh, okay, uh, you know, boy's life, neat. I'll write that. I'll try to find them next time. Um, Split Lip. Oh, they became Chamberlain? What? I better check out Split Lip. And it's just like, uh, you know, you just go through the, the gamut of it and, and seeing what you like and what you didn't because, you know, as you know, it's better than anybody. It's like that, what that word applied to differs wildly depending on when it got applied to that music. You know, you can go back to Gravity Records, click a tad of Tally stuff and be like, that's email? I don't really think so, but I guess it was. Uh, My Chemical Romance is email too, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it you know, definitely it goes. Yeah, it, go, it definitely goes across, and people are, are associating things differently. Um, did you? You were in Southern New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so closer to Philly. Did you ever? Did you ever hear about Frail? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That Absolutely. was that was a band I saw I back don't... in Vermont, and I had i mean i think i think the story i told that they got like grounded the band got grounded for like playing the show that i saw but the the energy on that stage and the dissonance and the the feeling that everything was going to break uh that was that was what i connected with so much about it um and what i still feel oh. and i i don't know if that's something that you had got into or if any of the guys in the band did or that was something that I was like, that is, that's, that's emotional. That's like, things are about to go away at any moment and you don't know when. <laughs> I, I love that feeling. I still feel that a lot, about a lot of bands where you're just like, I feel that this is going to go off the rails at any moment. And it's just a, the matter that it doesn't or that it, or that it does. But it's like, I love, I love that feeling. I, I never saw Frail. I think somebody from the guy, one of these two Frail went on, well, somebody got on the AMFM. Is that the same lineage? I don't know if it is, uh, but we'll have to do some Wikipedia on that, or someone can tell us. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. The the other um, band that kind of that that reminded me of that more recently, or at least later on in maybe college for me and high school for you was at the drive-in. That was the other one that I uh, saw. The lineage yeah, was like, I mean, that's gonna that was that was like okay, I see the connection. <laughs> The After Driving was a huge uh, influence on early November. Uh, not so much sonically, because we clearly don't sound a, a thing like them, but I saw them live, and I think it was with, I think it was with Boy Sex Fire. Um, and great show, just in general. And After Driving were just, I, was, I just never saw, like, I, was, I grew up as a huge Nirvana fan, and I always loved it. You're like this might be this might be a train wreck, and I love the fact that like it could have been a train wreck. And at the driving, you're like this could be a train wreck, and you're just waiting every note of the song for just something to break or something to like fall apart or the stage to collapse. And I was like, I just I mean, it's just like a dread. It just pumped me up. I was like, oh man, this is gonna go, this is gonna be nuts. And I think like first song, uh, like you know, Cedric summer salts, you know, and onto his back, you know, it's just like, like what is happening? And the first time when I, when I first saw Cave In, Oh yeah. Hell yeah. By Nirvana. And the first song, like, uh, I don't know the guitar player's name, not, not, not Brodsky, but like one of them just like runs over fucking like dies into the crowd. I'm like, first song, first note. That's just wild. Like I, this is amazing. Um, 
that was Jupiter era caving, so it's when they probably were even less wild. But um, oh wow, yeah, that yeah, was. Like, I think was, they were like kind of going back and forth because people were like, "Play the old shit," and they're like, "We want to play space rock." <laughs> yeah, they brought and they brought Burning Brides on tour with them. It was like this wild, like weird tour. But I was, I Jupiter's still like top twenty records for me of all time. It's one of my favorite records of all time. Um, but that 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 kind of like you know, cathartic chaos always appeals to me. Like it always has. And it's like, I never wanted to lose that element of being in a band. And that's why when we, when we first started, we were so bad. Like we watch videos of ourselves and we're like, we're the worst band of all time. Ace is like running out of breath. He can't sing any notes. Uh, I'm missing every note, but like, you know, and you look back and you look at yourself and you're like, you look kind of goofy, but, in that moment, you're just like you're going off, and you're like having so much fun, and, and you're trying. Like, you're, 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 yeah, you're like you're you're figuring it out as you fuck up each time. Yeah, I mean, we went on tour with Brand New really early on, and we were just like, we're the worst fan on this tour. Like we know sonically that we're aware of this. So what we would do to win over fans, or to like at least make an impact, was let's just go fucking crazy. Like if we're not going to be able to play our songs very well. Like, and it wasn't like posturing. I mean, when it gets to that point, at least me, I'm just like, scale it back. Stop doing it. Like, think of something else. Because as soon as you like, as soon as I do a move, like, I'm just like, and I know I'm like, people will probably be like, you know, if they chose to, you can be like, here's a move you did. You did the same thing here. It's like, yeah, I hate that. I'm sorry. Like, I try to never do that. That's something that is like always with me. Um, But back then, everything was new. So the first time you decided to like, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to like, I'm going to stand on this drum kit and like kick the cymbal. <laughs> it's the first time you did it. And it was like, that was fun. And I, I don't know how many, I'm sure there were bands doing it, but there weren't many bands on drive through doing it. And so that was always exciting to like, just kind of be that oddball. Were you in, were you in other bands? Like, was it like either punk or hardcore bands before early November? Like anything that did any releases? I, I, had... yeah, but it was, it was so hard to do anything because of where I lived. Um, I was the I we practiced a few times. This is a kind of a funny thing. It's not a real band, but there was a there was a few practices where Evan Weiss from Into Over It, uh, this dude named Sam Levine, who was in a band called The French Connection, who were like a great screaming like like screamo band from my area, and the drummer of that band, The French Connection, had this like spazzy. Um, just like I don't know, like post-hardcore band. But if anything, and this is kind of a weird, it sounded to me it only sounded like the first recovery EP, like where it was, it had like a melodic. Uh, we tried to bring it almost, and this is also kind of weird, but it almost like Sparta too. Like it was just crazy in the thing that would come together for the chorus. I don't know. It, we only practiced it three times in my dad's basement, um, but that's how I kind of remember it. And then. Um, there's a probably bad references too, but um, and then there was like this other band that I was doing that I quit or that I just kind of was like I'm not doing this anymore, guys. To join you in November, um, which was a straight up cross my heart ripoff. Like there couldn't be more of a ripoff. Now everybody, like, cross my heart message. is amazing. Stop the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Go Spotify, whatever you kids do. Go search cross my heart, and then come back. Okay, great. Okay, now you're back. All right, continue. I, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like dude, it's Crossbow Heart rules. So like, That's so good. Um, it was you know it was a, it was the same thing but reversed of that other band that I was talking about. You know how Crossbow Heart had a lot of like down tempo or like you know kind of mellow verses, and then he would just go off for the choruses or like the end of the song he would just go off, and I love that. Like that band ruled. Uh, a lot of Academy rules too, but Crossbow Heart was such a huge uh, band for us around here. I mean, that's like when Deep Elm was just kind of popping, you know, like there was so much good stuff coming out in that label. Yeah, they, I think, I think one of the Mac Rocks that I went down to in Virginia, they had played and it was unbelievable. Um, they might have even played the EVR Did showcase. Uh, I went to all of them for 10 oh. years. Oh, shit. So the, I only went to one and it was awesome. Which year? Um, God, it's so good. It, I don't remember the year, but Fugazi played it. Oh, that was yeah. I totally remember that show. Yeah, uh, I don't remember the year offhand, but yeah, that was that. That was he also did a keynote, which was great. Oh, you know what that was? And you know, I want to remember. And this is kind of a, this is a sad way to remember it, but um, it was two thousand uh, two thousand one because nine uh, eleven had just happened a few months before or a few weeks before, depending on Mac when Macrock is. Macrock's in and, April. Um, so it might have been the following. Yeah, so, okay, so, was it before or it was it the following? Was it, my, was it 2002? It probably it was, was 2002. It was after because Jonah from One Mind Drawing did With God on Our Side by Bob Dylan, so, you know, just acapella. And it brought like everyone to tears because it was about, you know, he was like, this is in light of the recent, you know, tragedy. It was, that it was, it was 2002. Yeah. And I saw it was Matt Pompier. Like, it was such a great year. I saw, like, jeez, uh, who was it? Uh, Aloha. Like, there's so many great shows. Oh, I, I was, I was standing, I was probably standing next to you at that. I remember seeing Aloha. Um, and that was with Cross My Heart, wasn't it? That same Didn't, year? I thought Liars Academy played. Maybe it was Liars Academy. I, 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 I kind of interchanged them sometimes just because of the Sonic. But yeah, I, I remember driving and being like, where the hell is this venue that Aloha is playing? <laughs> yeah, I remember being like not on, like off off the beaten way. Yeah. That was like my first experience with like road tripping to like go to like a festival, you know, it wasn't really a festival festival, but like a festival thing that um, just had like really great memories of. Um, Are you on some random? Our, 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 What's that? I was just saying something random with that. I remember driving. I think I think it might have been even that year or the later. Do you remember when you were driving and you 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 said road trip and remember when you'd have the radio thing that to listen to your iPod you would like tune it to a there was like no station. So we're driving and it must have been like an hour and this car is like really close to us, and I had been you know we've been playing records and. You know, I had a bunch of stuff and I think it was, you know, unreleased or whatever it was. And this, I guess this car had pulled up next to us and started like trying to get us to like say hi. This was after the festival. We're driving like north and they're like, they roll down the window and they're like, hey, um, could you play more of that? Like whatever record. It, I don't know what it was. Cave in. I don't know what I had like that was early. And it they had been, they had been, they had been tuning stations and found someone playing all this like punk and hardcore and like we realized it was us and then had been tailgating us to like keep it in like the frequency it was really funny we drove i don't know who they are i don't know we didn't really stop or anything but they uh uh we drove with them for like two hours before they cut off and 
I was just thinking like road tripping, like that's never going to happen again. <laughs> Man, I just, I just racked my brain trying to think that, well, is that us? And no, it wasn't. But how cool would that have been? I know, that would have been insane. I took, <laughs> they I were took like, my old 1990 Hyundai Excel down there with, I think, the bill from the early November and our, and two of our other friends. And, uh, we just went down, like slept on floors, you know, like that was like touring before we ever toured, you know, and I was just like, this rules, this is what I want to do. What a great intro. What a great intro because that festival was so, it wasn't, it wasn't South by, it wasn't CMJ. It had this, it had a great DIY ethic, but it, it almost, it got big, but it never, I don't know. It never felt that it was, you know, Taco Bell wasn't sponsoring a stage kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And like our like the hometown heroes up here when growing up were um, was up up down down. Yep. Um, and I remember them playing, and also Dave Downham and Steve Paponi, who's in uh, who's on a studio here in South Jersey called Gradwell, um, doing like a you know not a keynote but like a they were like on a panel and mm-hmm. it seemed like these guys are from my area and they're famous like this is nuts and now and like Steve and Dave are very close friends of mine now so it's just it's just a wild time now to do anything i mean that was really close to 99 i mean you guys starting out drive through there are so many you know interesting stories about drive through that i've heard over the years not only on this podcast but just on road trips and everything that's a that is a shot out of a cannon for you guys what was the feeling um man it was it was crazy um so i didn't really have much to do with getting signed to that label. I was not in the band at the time. Basically, I was in the band, and then I was out of the band. I think mainly because I tried to change too much, and rightfully so, I would have kicked myself out. I was just like, I want to change the band name. I want to change the song. I was like, taking, I was trying to like take over, which was stupid. Um, but anyway, so I wasn't in the band when the band sent their demo to drive through. Um, but Ace called me immediately after he like heard back from them. And he was like, dude, we're going to sign the drive-thru. And I was like, that's awesome, man. Like, congrats. Like, I was really, really happy for him. Truth be told, my my dream was, cause, and this is, you know, I don't want to sound offensive to everybody here, but, like, my dream was to sign to, like, Deep Elm. Had, or, like, J3, had to be signed to Deep Elm, we would have gone nowhere. And no offense to, like... We would never, we would not be talking like, right now. <laughs> no. You know, like... A, we did, like what I thought about our music was probably different than what we actually were at the time, you know? Like, you know, yeah, you can be inspired and influenced by just by uh, just Brazil and the Promise Rings, but we didn't sound anything like those bands. But we we had, you know, we had similar, I would like to say, like ethos and ethics of, like, we wanted to be that type of band, like sounding like we did. Um so when we got signed, so then shortly after, he was like, yeah, we're, you know, we're switching to member grant. You want to play the band again? And I was like, absolutely. Like, this is all I want to do. Um, so out of the gate, I mean, yeah, like, drive-through was an insane platform. Like, people can't even you know, say, it, like, like, run for cover or top shelf to the day. But it's like, yeah, that times one ten thousand, like, legitimately, like, 10,000 times bigger, um, which is not a slight to those, those labels. I love those labels. I have bands on both those labels. Any but, um, band that came out on like drive through had a had a had a instant, you know that you people followed that label. We sold pretty much out of the gate fifty thousand EPs off of a, being a brand new band. Fifty thousand, 
Like, and that's not like, look at us. That was like just part of the course back then. But that's like, you know, there was no Facebook. There was no MySpace. There was none of that. So that was all you had for sales, right? So, um, and it was easy to get sales back then. But like pretty much out of the gate, we were just like, you know, before we released the song, we were on a warp tour playing the drive through stage, which at that time had finished something corporate and starting line on it. So it was more or less a main stage on 2002's warp tour. And we were on that before releasing a song. Um, so yeah, like that, I, you know, there were ups and downs with that label, I, you know, whatever. But they, at that time, they knew how to seize an opportunity and make it and like parlay it into like launching a band and, you know, it, without them, we would have, you know, I don't, I don't know what would have been the ultimate history, but like that was certainly a launching point that I don't even know how to replicate at this point anymore. And aside I, from like a major label. Yeah. And I, I, I think those at that time, and that brings up a good point, like they were acting like a major. I mean, there were so many people swarming, but it was at, it was as if, they were like, um, we're going to do our own thing because we're successful. We don't even need you. We don't need radio. We don't need uh, all that well, stuff at the moment. I mean, it was, early it was on, amazing. it didn't. It was, no, no. Early on, it didn't. But the record contract we signed was MCA. Oh, so you guys did the me. upstream. Um, exactly. So they were. So they weren't. They were a indie, uh, just a subsidiary of a major. So they were getting, you know sort of, you know, the funding and like that you didn't get now from just being a, but they were just like a, a large indie under a major, but in the event that any band got to the point that MCA, which then became, uh, you know, folded into death and that they wanted to advance, they can be like, well, you had your fun. We're taking them now. Thanks for developing. Um, which was, they, and the Richard and Stephanie from Drive always put it, they're like, well, we wish we never did this, but at the point that we did it, we either had a close or this was our only way of surviving, which was 100% true. So, you know, I backed that decision that they did that. Plus, they create they created the model, or you know, helped create the model for what was called incubator labels. You know, like they were before Vagrant had theirs, and before uh, I don't know a, a militia lot, group. Know, for this, yeah, exactly. Before like militia group had theirs, it's like. Someone had to kind of like figure out how this works and they did it. Unfortunately, they also probably got a really bad deal out of it because that was another thing. It's like once the band's gone, the band's gone. There were no residual like kickbacks for the label who put it out. So, you know, I mean, there's probably all sorts of dirt in, you know, other. Well, no. Yeah, I think there, I mean, those things can be mentioned. I I think the, the, the point of it was is. You, you're saying that, I mean, they were the first one kind of out of the gate and had all these people swarming, and they they signed it because they wanted to help the bands, and it ended up probably being a shittier deal, and the labels down the line maybe were smarter or saw the mistakes and didn't maybe only did an upstream deal if it was a certain amount or whatever it was. They changed the terms and maybe helped. Yeah. So they... Yeah, maybe maybe had to be a threshold or something before they can take on... Um, yeah, they certainly like they were, you know, they were a label signing literally 15 year old kids. Danny from the starting line was 15 when he got signed. Um, Jeff, our drummer, um, we, this, this is always a fun story. Like, it's not that much of a story, but we, um, he graduated high school. We had to leave to go on the first tour, which was a war tour. And we had to be in uh, Phoenix, which is where it started that year. And 
we had to leave a day later because his mom wanted him to walk on his high school for his high school graduation. He literally, they called his name, he handed his captain gown to his mother, and he got in the van, and then he said goodbye, like on the field. But that was how, like, you know, how young he was at the time, but also like, you know, how how quickly these things moved. Like it was just a few months the band signed the contract. We don't care if your drummer's in, you know, he's got to graduate, hadn't graduated earlier or whatever, let's go. Um, so they were certainly like there at the, um, you know, finding really, really young talent and helping that talent grow. And sometimes those bands got swooped up by the major. Speaking of swoops, <laughs> speaking of swoops, how was 2002 Warp Tour? <laughs> well, we so that's another story. We didn't get to play much of it because we flipped our band four days in. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. So this was a funny first time. We, the, the time we toured with the Mercedes, they were like, "Hey, we heard the story about you guys. Is it true? There's no way it can be true." And we're like, "Yeah, that's totally true." So we flipped the van four days in on the tour. Spent a week and a half with Richard and Stephanie in LA, just like recuperating. And then they flew us back home. We rented another van, and we were going to pick up with the tour again in uh, Atlanta. That night, we decided to, like, hey, let's go to a strip club because we've never been to one, <laughs> which is stupid. But we, we, we tried to go to one. We parked our van at a parking lot. And in Philadelphia and in New York, uh, they take your keys in case you have to move your car because it's a high-volume area. Well, we missed the sign that said, no attendant on duty, do not leave keys, pay this machine, essentially pay this machine and get a ticket, take your keys with you. We missed that. So an attendant uh, parked our van and then stole our van. <laughs> so that was all within three and a half weeks. Football wow. Played, played about four or five days of actual work for I totally so forgot day, about that. So work for wasn't... Wasn't you, very good. You had zero swoops in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. How I, I again? There's, I did not realize. I th- th- when you said flip van, I remember that, but then I did not remember the second half with this with the strip club. So lesson learned. <laughs> lesson <laughs> but, learned. Yeah. And then uh, that is it's so similar to the mineral issue. What happened with their when they parked theirs? Um, I think it was St. Louis or something. The same thing. Um, oh, dude, yeah. Uh, St. Louis is rough. Everyone, that's a rough place to get. Yeah, that was the show that Foxy played with them. Yes, and uh, they were they were celebrating Chris's birthday, I think, outside or yep. at a bar or later at the show. And like, oh, I remember I heard from somebody from Foxing. I think Josh was just like. And they just got their very end broken into it. And I was like, God, what's with your city, man? Yeah. <laughs> what is with that? Because that band from Philly, the district, had their van stolen completely, went back like a month and a half later, broken into. Like, I would be like, I can't go there anymore. Sorry. Sorry, St. Louis. Yeah, sorry. Home. Come to another city. Drive outside of your city yeah. to come see us. <laughs> Uh, I think too, uh, with a lot of those tours, um, that you guys were doing around that time, um, what were you feeling? Because you say, you know, you guys, you wanted to sign to Deep Elm and Jade Tree and, and you were, it was getting into this. I mean, it was MTV, it was Fuse, it was magazines and it was so much happening. 
out in the open yeah, and I mean, it didn't what was you guys kind of you were older and you i mean this is i'm trying to say it the right way like this is what you were in it wasn't like you were touring back in the mid 90s so this is what you were in but how did you feel during it did you did you sense that holy crap there's a lot going on or uh let's you know let's try and change our sound or what what, what were some of your feelings it's always kind of a mixed bag for me um, because I think I identified musically and like taste-wise with one thing, but I knew very well objectively that like we weren't in that, you know. And at, at the time, like as my as I started to like, discover more, like it went from like Deep Elm and Jay Tree into like Saddle Creek and Matador, and like and then like I just started getting deeper and deeper than that. And the further you go into that, the further I am from like what I'm doing, not just, not musically speaking, because I always like could stand behind our music and be like, this is exactly where, how, what, what we are as a band and we're doing it the best we can. And I can, I can totally like, you know, believe and stand behind that. But it was sometimes the tours that we would take or the way that marketing went that I would be like, I just don't identify with the way we're doing this. However, I will chalk a lot of that up to being young and somewhat, ignorant to this like wanting to get your own way um and realizing like you're making a, you're making a career for yourself and your your kids are coming to your shows and you you're, the perception that they have on you is who you are and you should embrace it more or less because you're not you know you're doing the best you can and we always try to do that i never like never had a problem with who likes the band i'm happy to have anyone there i just want to make sure that always that we never got to the point and maybe because we never got that popular or probably that big, but that we never lost sight of why we wanted to become a band and like what makes the bands that I love so special to me is how I always wanted to be to the people who liked our band, which was be accessible, kind, you know, respect your space and their space and, uh, and try to be the, the, I guess most like, indie rock band you can without truly being one of those bands. And I think you see a lot of that. You see that more and more, um, or often. And at some point, you know, I saw Death Cat for Cutie open for Pedro Line and Bright Eyes. They played first, right? Um, then that band became a massive, massive, massive radio band. But I feel like they're still, at some, at some level, they're still an indie rock band. They got in a van. They paid their dues. They understand how it is, like, um, to do these things. And at some point, you can't choose who likes your band anymore. Like, you're you're now just a big band, and you're gonna stop identifying with everyone coming to see you because they just like popular music. And that's it. Might be a bit of like an identity thing where you're like, oh man, I don't know if they're getting this, or I don't know if I'm doing this for the for the people that I think would like this. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, people coming to see a band. And you should be very grateful and happy that they are. And that's something that I've always sort of like remembered and been like, yeah, I might not like, you know, the same bands that everyone does, but I'm they're still coming here, out. You know, and I'm happy to, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and we always, and we were lucky early on, like, I'm kind of surprised we got some of the tours we did. Like, our second tour, our second real tour after that disaster was with, uh, this tour was sick. It was Further Scenes Forever, Elliot, and this band called The Rise, who were like this refused kind of band. But like, 
we were talking with Elliot. Like, I was stoked to be doing that. Um, and I was like, what are we? And like, they, I could just tell they were like, these kids are goobers. But hopefully they were like, these kids are goobers, but they have good intentions. You know, that's all I, that's all that I could have hoped for at that time, you know? And then when we got to bring bands on tour, we tried to bring other like-minded bands as we would bring Copeland. Um, and then when we got a little bit bigger, we got to, we brought, we were like, let's ask Andrew Cities. We're going to say no. And they said, yes. And we're like, what? Yes, let's do it. And then uh, we, we brought Lindbeck because we were getting really, really into alt country. And we were like, they're going to say no. They said, yes. And like, now I consider Bob from, uh, from Brave and Mercedes and Pat from Lindbeck and Rob, like these are all friends now. I'm like, I will always just hope that the first time they met us, they at least said like these kids have the have the right intentions and they're doing like the best they can and like they we come from a similar space. And I don't know, maybe I think about it too much, or at least I used to. Well, you're in the but right place for want, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't want like um, I just didn't want. You know, we toured with Fall Out Boy. We brought them on uh, an early headlining tour. They brought us on a headlining tour. Those guys, you know, regardless of how big they are now, like they came from the punk and hardcore backgrounds. So at least like they had, they had, um, you know, same thing as Mike Ken. These bands came from the same place we all did. What they did with it later is kind of arbitrary. But at that time and place, at that moment, like you could all sit down and geek out about the Promise Ring, you know, and that's and that to me like meant a lot. So. You know, always trying to weed out the people who, you know, you didn't identify with, you didn't think were doing it for the right reasons was something that early November always tried to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, the the uh, longstanding joke of obviously, you know, my site and I think a lot of this era is that I just, I didn't see the connections. And I think over time, as I've spoken to more people from that time, when I, I was working in it, but I was in different different circles, um, I have seen some of that lineage more, and I have sort of been more apt to see it or connect with it, um, and that's that's something that I'm try, you know working on. But I really like that sort of right in, intentions part. Um, you know, Hey Mercedes was probably psyched because a band bigger than them at the time wanted them to do something, and they're like, those are new fans out there that could maybe ten of them will like us. Um, uh, and I think that's a really cool, um, sort of way of going about it. Um, I, I see the similar thing with Jimmy Eat world, you know, I go to the show, I can't stand anyone in there, you know, I cannot wait. Um, but I just hope to God, maybe I hear something old or a B side and I can go home happy, but I realize, you know, that their fan base has exploded, but I still take something out of it. Um, and I think, you know, you guys doing that and bringing bands you love, uh, with the early November that you're, you're kind of trying to connect it still while you're getting bigger. And I think that's a really good way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, somebody asked me this recently, they were like, you know, no one's looking back. I mean, for the most part, if you, if you ask our circle, right. I mean, I, and I consider you and, and I to like have probably similar circle of friends. And we probably have a lot of the same friends, but, um, like no one looks back on that time who are in their early thirties and says, yeah, 2003, 2004, 2005, right? That era was a great time for email. No one's looking back on that and saying that. Like, I mean, there was some great records that came out during that time, but it's, that, it's when the term got bastardized for the most part and where Hot Topic was selling, like, cheer up, email kid, T-shirts. And you're all like, 
sick of seeing this, which is, you know, which is why early November tried to remove that term from the name, which was, in the beginning, we were waving it high and proud. You know, we're like, this is, Jets of Brazil were called emo. Promise Ring are called emo. Like, we love those bands. Promise Ring and Jets of Brazil toured together. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we wanted to be, the, we wanted to be the emo band on drive through but like the, the one that was the most real, I guess. Like the one that was like, I mean, that's not the gig at any of the other bands. They all, they were all into good tunes, but we wanted to be like their version of Jimmy World. And I think that's why they signed us. They were like, we want like a alt rock emo band. And we wanted to do that. Um, but then eventually like that term got so weird and we're like, we don't, we're not that anymore. Someone took that term away from us and applied it to something that we are definitely not. And now, unfortunately, like now we can't say that anymore. Now, now, then every band, then you saw every band say, Oh, we're just, we're just a rock band. We're just alternative. You know, like also, you know, you get to the point where you're like, where do you go from here? You know, like the scene is, you know, scenes, punk scenes are only meant to get so big. And I still like stick by that. That's why hardcore bands for the most part put out two records. You know, those are classic records because it's a, it's you know it's not it's not meant to be the time and a place. You've got to capture that moment. And after that, once you start posturing, you got to move on. So I bands, you know, hardcore bands become post-hardcore bands, or post-hardcore bands become alt-country bands, or whatever it may be. It's like this this scene that term wasn't meant to get as big as it did. It's just that someone hijacked that word. Um, so you know, you start trying to distance yourself and. Yeah, well, we come back around and we're just like, yeah, we're well, whatever, whatever you want to call us. It's cool. When you joined Hello Goodbye, what was the what was the reasonings behind that? Oh, oh, so yeah, early November broke up in 2007, or she went on hiatus, indefinite hiatus. That's what I'm always confused on. When I read hiatus, I'm like, all right, what really? Like, was it just we're leaving it open? Like, what? I uh, that's why I got confused. I was like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> we got to the point like where we were just we were touring so 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 much. Um, and just like got to the point where it's like, we don't, we can't do this anymore. Like it, it's killing us. We were never like incredibly, we, you know, the, behind the scenes, like the band broke up like on tours, but we pieced it back together for the next show and just kind of swept it under the rug. It wasn't like a toxic situation. It was just like a, a, an emotional situation. Like you're growing up together. You didn't quite figure out who, who yourselves were. And then you start to do that as you get older on the road. It's a weird situation to be in. It's like a very unnatural thing to put a bunch of like adolescent boys, hey, run a bit of together. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. um, but you know, you, you grow you, you grow through that and then we got got to the point where it's like, all right, we need to take a break and we know that we don't want to break up. We know we want to do this again. We just need to take a break. Um so that's the way you wrote it. Like there's I I wrote this like Thing and I put it on our website saying like, you know, we need to be with our friends, our families, our girlfriends and wives at that point, you know, Ace just had gotten married because we haven't been with them in the past. At that point, I guess it was about seven years um, of straight nonstop touring from 17 years old to, you know, your, your mid twenties or early mid twenties. Um, so, um, yeah, I just got, I had like, I had like a regular job. I was working at a place called Disc Makers. And then all of a sudden, like Forrest, who was a friend of mine from Warped Tour, but we weren't like that close. He's like, hey, do you play keys? I'm like, nope. But I can try because I was like, I want to go back out on tour. I mean, like, I missed this. Um, 
yeah, so it's like, hey, do you want to you want to play in the band? And I was just I, you know I was a member of the band for about four years, and it was awesome. Like it was, I look back on that time. I mean, I was just with Forrest a couple weeks ago in in LA. Just stayed with him for a day. Um, that that was so much. That was a ton of fun to be in, and that was a similar thing. Like that band, and this is going to sound crazy, and people always kind of think it's funny, but like that band operated more. DIY and more punk rock than a lot of bands that are punk rock and DIY claim to be. Interesting. And that's what I love about that band. Immediately, we like we're, it was self-managed. We put out our own records. We did our own merch. We sold. We uh, we did. We had our own merch store. We were just like, let's take complete control over this business and learn how everything works, um, which was really really fun and a lot of work. We had this whole, like, we'll go anywhere and play a show if we can just cover it, as long as we're not going in the hole doing it. So we would go to, you know, Southeast Asia and, um, you know, doing a lot of just weird places. And then we would go, we would get these tour offers. We went on tour with um, 303. And that, that tour was actually a lot of fun. Those guys also, similar place. They were from, like, hardcore and punk bands in uh, Denver. They just kind of blew up doing this thing. But all, they had a lot of off days because they were doing press. So we did house shows and, like, we would play you know, vegan straight edge houses uh, just because they would have us. And the shows were amazing. And we would just do, you know, the Senate and Mitzvah covers and in between our own songs. And, you know, you just got to the point where you're just like, it kind of brought that back where you were talking in the beginning. It's like, yeah, like this band had a pop hit, but the kids who are now into hardcore and punk rock or emo remember that song and they, they, they may have liked it but now they also like this and like, we have this common ground. Like we also like this too. Like, you know, this came from a real place and we just want to kind of share that with everybody. And that was, um, it was a fun time to be in a band. And, it yeah, seems it was, like, uh, it seems like fun. that. Yeah. It seems like that was a, um, a precursor or you probably learned more in that band and leading to your job now. Kind of Absolutely. Having, was... I mean, you were doing everything on your own, and you're like, okay, I think I, I think I could kind of help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that was um, early November. I learned it all, but it was, I mean, like somebody, I was the, the kid who was like, all right, I'll go settle the show because someone has to, and like someone has to call a booking agent and say, hi, like we got a deposit. How can we even get it all? You know, just learning these things because no one told us. We were from, you know, I grew up on a farm. Um, the first time we met back end, I gave it back. I gave, uh, you know, like back end when you sell enough tickets, they give you more money, you know, because you reached the, the split point. First time we got that, he handed me like an extra $400 and I handed him back $200 being like, well, here's your bonus. I had no idea how that worked. But like, that's how I learned these things. I like to say like in early November, I learned everything I know by doing it wrong or by like being swept up in the drive-through machine, which taught me a lot about like marketing and ma- how major labels operate, which is valuable because you can apply what you can to yourself or, or not, just knowing how it works. Um, and then a whole other guy, I learned like much more DIY, how to get things done, like kind of on the ground. You need a backdrop printed. I mean, it's easy, right? You just kind of figure out how to Google it. But like, Who's the best company? Like, exactly. Get done. You know, I'm just, I'm just naming out anything. But like, um, so in that band, I learned a lot of like tactical, hands-on. In November, I learned a lot of what not to do, and also like seeing other people 
operate at this like massive level. You know, we had lunches with like, you know, Jordan Schur from Geffen back in the day and like all these crazy things. And you just ask, 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 ask questions, whatever. Um, so yeah, that's how I apply it to managing now. It's just like, I feel good and I don't want to limit the band to work with, but I feel pretty confident being like any situation you find yourself in, at least up until a very large point, I will have been there and I can walk you through it or I can help you navigate it. Like, yeah. If you ever end up playing in a, in a, in a largely Islamic country, I've done it. You know, like, I know what you have to do. There's, there's different pro there's different protocol. You know, I know that, you know, I know how to get back line in Eastern Europe, you know, like anyone could, it's not like it's rocket science, but I'm just, you know, I'm there for you. Cause I've been there on the ground doing it for the most part. And it brings um, up, you know, I think that too, that yeah. sort of, yeah, the end of Hello Goodbye, those last couple of years were definitely that emo revival time um, and started seeing it again. Were there things that you had thought about when you started hearing bands referencing older bands? Was it, was, was there, especially in Philly, uh, that was a big oh, yeah. epicenter for it. Um I've mentioned this many times where I've heard, I started hearing about it. It was unbelievable. I didn't, I didn't believe it the yeah, first time someone told me. Oh dude, it's wild. Um, yeah. Like I think Algernon kicked that whole thing off. Like, you know, I think they, in some way they kicked off the entire like movement. Um, uh, but they were like so many years, like, at least a couple of years before it all. Um, what I first heard, like, I was working with Young Statues, which is the first band I started managing, um, and they got signed to run for cover, which at the time was still putting out, like, you know, uh, punk records, more or less. They had, you know, modern, Man, Man Overboard and Modern, uh, you know, at the full line of baseball, and like Transit. Uh, and then just kind of naturally uh, heard of, heard of like, what Top Shelf was doing, and I'm like, what? This is wild. Like, the first You Blew It record, I remember being like, this rules. I can't believe that this is like something this like real and like, you know, remembering the past is like happening right now. And, uh, it was many years later that I ended up working with that band, but it was just really cool to see this thing, this little scene, seem completely self-sustained basement shows and house shows and growing actual bands and businesses out of that. And, uh, I never cool got a better feeling. Yeah, I, I never got a better feeling. Yeah. I remember telling Kevin from Top Shelf, and I've told Counting Lucky Stars guys, anyone I've ever met, I said, you and I would have been friends in 96, and we, you know, it would as, it, you would have had your distro. You're just doing it in this new era of the internet, and you're smart. You have website knowledge. Like, uh, it was like the – I don't know. I just – I wanted to, like, hug them all. <laughs> Just be like you're doing it. it yes, it would have been, <laughs> been like in, what I, like the if early November if those labels were around when early November was been that would have been one of the labels I would have wanted to sign to. You know, like instead of the you know like they not to limit those labels, but like they are what J Tree and Deep Elm and Saddle Creek meant to me to a 17 year old now. Like they're putting out incredible releases because all of those labels, you know, depending on their activity, went on to like just grow as labels or like polyvinyl, like as you do, you just grow as a label, just like your music case grows. But like, it doesn't mean that the stuff that you put out before or the bands that sound like the stuff that you put out 
are any less good. It's just that like you've kind of done enough of it. Um, so when those labels kind of sprung up, um, and I know it was a long process. It wasn't just like overnight, but it, it certainly seemed like it pretty happened pretty quickly. It was, you know, there's just so they put out great records and I get to work with those dudes. And it's just like working with, it's working with your peers. And I, I love that we grew up on the same, on the same stuff. And the regardless of how our lives differed, it's like at least we have this really, really like common denominator. And as long as you can trace that back, you can like be buds and get along with anyone. As long as you can trace it back to a show you both saw, <laughs> whatever it may be. I was at that same tour only in Boston, whatever it may be. Yep. Yeah, I think that's great. I think the the that's why it's connecting it and working, and it is popular. There are more people talking about it. The bands are better. I just I wish that the the I wish the band would. I almost I, I wish I didn't promote bands. I wish. It, it didn't have the name attached to it. I wish it was just DIY punk scene or whatever the name was because the bands are so good and I don't want them typecasted. I don't want foxing to be thought about a certain way. It's great. These are this little scene came up in this internet age when everything is instant and they kind of did it without, they did it with it, but with the internet, but without it, uh, they still had the touring. They still had the merch. It, um, I just I hope that these bands, you know, they, I, I there will be a record that will kind of break it open. I feel I don't know what band it's going to be, but uh, I really hope that it keeps that ethic. Yeah, same here. I mean, I I think about it a lot, and it's already getting to that point that I felt it's you know how these things happen faster now, like the wave of like the second wave of email. I don't even know if you can count the second wave, but the one that blew up, the one that broke happened over several years the emo revival wave which is probably what like third or fourth wave of emo which is crazy that we're even talking about it like this but like i mean if you think about it in those terms it's like it's going to happen the arc happens a lot quicker because in general there's so much more music out there kids can digest it so much quicker and they can move on to the next thing you're not waiting for records to come in the mail for six weeks you're there and then the next one's there and it's going to happen so it's already getting to that point that we felt in 2006 when we're putting out our second record, we shouldn't really, we shouldn't really do email so much anymore. We, or we shouldn't say that we're email anymore because now it's got this negative connotation. So I don't know if fans are getting there already. To me, it's whatever you want to call yourself. It's fine. It's just a label. I just hope it doesn't, I hope it just doesn't get bastardized. And I hope it doesn't get used as a buzzword. I know it's already been used as a buzzword times by major media publications and independent media, whatever it may be, they've been using that word and they know they can get page clicks out of it. And I'm not going to lie, it's been good for some of the bands I work with. It's a good time to like to have that stuff. But at some point, it might also be limiting. So you have to just be careful. You, you can't ever eschew it all the way and be like, we weren't that. You just got to be like, yeah, we, you know, we're a band. Yeah, I, like our new stuff, you know, just exactly. I I don't want it to be this, you know. If a post goes up on a certain site and it's there's a word in it, and then every one of the comments they discredit it and they don't listen to it, that to me, you know, hurts. And I hope that it gets through that. I hope that the music's good enough where it connects. And if they see the lineage, great. If they don't, and they just like the band, I almost like that better. Um, 
because if I play certain people records and I don't tell them anything, they're like, oh, that was really good. Or, and then I tell them the band name or whatever. And they're like, oh, I heard that was this. It's 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 almost like I want the music to come on a blank <laughs> you know, record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if anything now. I feel like there's less of a emo sound like because you're seeing a lot of bands being called it, which is almost doing itself a favor. Because once it has like a sound, then it's like it's certainly putting a it's putting it into a box. So right now you have things as far as you know, uh, Empire Empire being emo, which I think are incredibly traditional in that sense. But also, um, I mean, like even the Hotel Year, who are more of like just a punk band. You know, it's like you, the gamut is is pretty wide, which is good. For now, I think, because it doesn't mean that one thing is that one thing yet. And like you know, even like a lot of few or like title fight, title fight aren't you know band, but they're called that, or some people think they are. Pianos, so, the the uh, pianos yeah. become the teeth. Yeah, like I I don't really consider them one. Maybe they, at least not in the traditional sense. Um, but it's it's that term can remain vague. That's actually doing itself a favor soon as it gets taken away from being vague, because you remember how it was with your fourth uh, that site, everything, you know, band sleepy time trio was emo. So was so was lifetime, you know? Like you could sound so different or like Rights of Spring or in the Promise Ring. Like the Promise Ring are an indie pop band through and through, you know? But they had this other adjective that, that sat on there. So as long as it can remain vague, I think that's gonna do itself a favor. So if it can actually kind of like die down a bit, would maybe even be doing it a better favor until that one band breaks, and then that sets the tone. That sets what an emo band is in 2016 or whatever it may be. So well, I guess we'll just have to see, or it, the buzzword will just stop being a buzzword, and then people will stop saying it, and then no band becomes the next emo. I don't know. It's probably it's probably more thinking than we need to do on it, but. But it really I, is an I think and exciting it, time. It is that, that that's the thing. I think you you really bring up a really good point. It, it is an exciting time because we do have that moment. We do have a thing where one of these bands could break and then take all these bands with them, or you know, tour, and there could be this beautiful thing that came out of something that wasn't in a boardroom or put together by a manager of people that have never met. Like it came from the right place, and however it happens, at least we can see the lineage. And it, I feel that it came honestly and it came that they cared about it. And I think that that will come through and your, your point about it being vague. I really love that term and I'm going to keep using, I love that it, it you know, let's keep it vague <laughs> because someone thinks yeah, it's I mean, Midwest. I someone just, who... you know, bows to Kinsella that there are people that West coast, they're more punky uh, than maybe the Midwest. Like it's all, it, it should all play in the same sandbox. Yeah, as long as we can, I mean, if that's a, a constant effort that the people who do get to say what is and is not, I mean, like your website, right? Not putting this pressure on you, but like, if we can continue to like, not put it into a box, we're doing ourselves a favor while letting these bands grow at their own pace, at their own, at their own convenience. You want to, you know, we can always say that you remind us of an old email band and that's fine. You just don't want to limit their, you know, you don't want to limit their careers because if they are doing it for the right reasons, you want them to be whatever band they want to be, you know? And that's, that's kind of, 
that's kind of my goal here. Not not my goal, but something that I'm like, whatever my, the bands that I work with want to do, I'll never be like, you guys got to, you know, no, you're an emo, you're an emo band. You've got to be more emo. I'm like, no, just do whatever you want and just make great records. And if that adjective is always on your band, great. Wave it hot. You love it. You grew from, you, you know, you came from that. But it doesn't, it's not the defining stamp on your band. Emo band, you know. And what's what's interesting is the is this band emo. The launch was like I really thought it was going to be a joke, and the only thing I thought people were going to search, I, I when I launched, I said, okay, all people are going to do is they're going to type in old school bands and try to make sure that I have all the old stuff and all the bands, and it's going to tell them if it's not. Then I realized people were putting in pop records. People were putting in Justin Bieber. I mean, the search was insane on these pops. Like, people put five seconds a summer. I think the search, it was crazy the first month. And then it turned into bands that were just starting out wanting me or the people on the site to tell them if they were emo or not. And I remember writing back to them individually, either Twitter or email, if they would email, like, hey, can the, you know, can the council please vote? And I would say, this is... This is what we think, but if you think you are, go. Like, if you guys are, like, awesome. And that was my whole kind of mantra. Like, this is what we think, but if you guys are, awesome. Keep going. And de- definitely, uh, the site was as a joke, but it does it doesn't it doesn't help the vagueness of it. But I keep trying to tell the people, like, if you guys think you are and you see it, have at it, because. If you're maybe you say you are, maybe maybe you'll go listen to Mineral or you'll go listen to the early November or whatever because you're associating with it, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I think it's um, I think it's part of it's wanting to be included in the something. It's like you see kids, I see it all the time being like, I'm so pop punk, and like they're holding like the. Uh, it's like a picture of pizza. I'm so pop punk. It's like why is pizza the most pop punk thing? <laughs> like, it's like it's it's both like uh, I think a sign of being like uh oh uh, this might be getting out of control like when you just want to call yourself emo whether you're a band or not because um, I'm already seeing it a lot too like I'll I'll get emails every once in a while like you know from a band who's like hi we are a emo band from wherever uh, and we're looking for management we here's our you know links and I'm like I never saw that before no one was saying we are an emo band it's just like you know, they're we're, we're a, you know, we're a band and we did this. Now, now it's like, you know, it's inevitable that bands get inspired by modern baseball, uh, or you blew it or, or great big pile of leaves or dates or whatever. Right. Like there's gotta be, you know, 16, 17 year old kids who are starting bands now that love those bands who now say, well, those bands are emo. So I guess that's what we are. And I think that's like kind of when it starts, you know, that's, you you influence the next generation, and then that term is now applied because no one was saying gates weren't weren't going around being like we're an emo band. No one's saying that. Um, maybe they were, but I mean, I just don't think anyone was using that term to describe themselves, and now they I think they are, which is both good and a little bit worrying. Uh, not in a in a serious way. It's good mainly because if a good band can influence another good band, who cares? You know. That's the most flattering thing in the world that still happens every once in a while. It's like when a band that I like, and I say, like when I first, and I don't want to put them on the spot, but when I first met Tanner from You Blue, I was like, 
I saw their set. I said, dude, that was awesome. I'm, my, my name's Joe. I just want to say hi. He goes, I, he's like, I know who you are. I, I love you on whatever. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing in the world. That is so like, rad. That, I love that. Yeah. And like Christian from the hotel here, like told me, like, I don't need to let you know that like, I love, I love you on November. I'm like, this is amazing. That like, that, that's the, that was the goal that we could, you know, it always will be the goal for us was that not to just influence other bands. That wasn't it, but that you could like resonate with a person who I think understood it and got it for the right reasons. And like, and then went out their life and if they started a band and if that was a small part of it, just a small part, then like that's the most flattering compliment you can get as a band. Not like we sold, you know, sold 300,000 records. That's a great achievement, but it's not like as much of a compliment than the other thing is like a good band was somewhat influenced by you. And that's neat. So that's the, yeah. I love it. And I think that brings up the last point that I want to bring up is, you know, you guys have a new record and you're still going. Yes. And I I love that. I, I, and you probably heard listening to the podcast every time I just encourage every band. I'm like, keep making music because there are people there that care and there's, there's a time and a place. And, um, you guys have a new record coming in, in May and, uh, it, are you guys just as excited? I mean, you're going to tell how you're excited, but I, I just, I love that you're still going. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, um, honestly, this, I know everybody's always like, this is their best record. I think it's a great record. I don't want, I don't know what our best record is. I think this is a phenomenal record, probably my favorite, but I always say that about all of our records. Um, this, I think is, I can say, I think it's our, our purest record since our first record, since the room's too cold, when we had no expectations on us as a band, we, went into a basement, made songs, recorded songs to tape. That's how the first record was made. Um, this record, uh, like the one we came, then the Mother and Mechanic, our second record, we had sold you know, a, a decent amount of records and we had gained the fan base. Now you're questioning, what do people want from us? What, who are we as a band? What should we do? And then we made a record. And then we broke up. We came back. What do people want from us after not hearing us for five years? And you make a record what those thoughts in your mind, it doesn't influence everything, but they're in your mind. You're thinking about it. This record, we now look back, we're like, cool, we've been around for 13 years or whatever. You know, like we've got no one left to impress. Like we've got nothing left to prove. Like we're just going to make the music that we want to. And we went back into this, now the Ace's studio and wrote just like we did the first record. Play a riff. I'm going to play something on top of it where do you think the song should go from here? And like, that was the, um, the way the majority of the record was written. And it's like the, the, the way we used to write, which we haven't done in a long time. And it came out with this, like kind of weird, but in my opinion, like really great, solid record. And I'm super stoked to uh, share more songs with it. Off, off of it rather. I have more, a, uh, I have such yeah. an interesting way to describe it. You know how the the term of you know you're you're at your happiest when you're eight and then when you're eighty, you know you were eight yeah. and you were you had no worries. You yelled in a restaurant. You didn't matter. You were just like whatever the world is at my. Or, and then you go through it and you realize, oh god, college bullshit, work. But eighty, you guys are at eighty. I'm not saying you're gonna die, but I'm saying like eight. You're like I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit. No, I'm gonna have fair. my scotch and vodka at nine a.m. and I'm gonna you know, do that, like, you know, screw you. And so, but it lets you live again. Yeah. I think there's a lot of this record. 
it just is more fun than anything. Like there are there are parts of these things that I'm like I can tell he had like a smile on his face when he was singing those words because like there's just you know you're not posturing you're not trying to emulate anything else that you heard and I'm not saying he ever did that but like when there's so much expectation or when there's like other there's there's like you know what band's gonna get bigger than us or we gotta stay up on this or whatever it's like now we're just like we want to be the best and and you know most successful band we can but we're gonna do it at being 32 and 33 years old now which is you know our priorities have shifted a bit and this is the record we make because of it because of where we came from um so in that sense i think it's our purest record and of course i'm going to say it's our best record um to do it because you know, it's now my body is asleep my mind is wide awake it's my fault Washed Up Emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com